Well, I guarantee that Satan isn't nearly as delicious as candy corn. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, unfortunately, Mona couldn't join us for the conversation. In fact, I think this is the very first time that Alan and I have been alone in the podcasting space. Yeah, I I think she was too scared for this one. I think she was. I think she was. Halloween special. This is is our Halloween special. So coming up on, if you're hearing this on the day of posting, coming up this next Monday is Halloween. So we figured it would be... A good episode to bring pro in. Pro. Yes, exactly. To bring in the <laughs> subject of Satan. Uh, Satan. And which, no, she, Mona, just to be clear, was not scared because nothing scares her at all. Yeah. No. She just couldn't make it, unfortunately. And we get to say whatever we want without her being here. <laughs> we can. We can say whatever yeah. the heck we want. Um, but before we get into our actual conversation, uh, we have a special announcement. It's coming up. On Friday, if you enjoyed our bonus episode last month on International Podcast Day, where myself, Adam, and Dylan reviewed and looked at the movie God's Not Dead, we are bringing in the sequel this Friday. So this Friday, we'll have another bonus episode where the three of us will sit down and look at God's Not Dead Part 2, um, which... So they did film a part two. They did film a part two, and there's talks of a part three, so... No way. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... Um, so check that out on Friday. It'll be on your feed if you subscribe, and uh, it, it should be a fun conversation. Uh, we are we are watching bad Christian movies so that you don't have to. I think that's that's our new <laughs> tagline for that little series. Is is that the characterization you landed on? Yeah, I bad, think so. I just think so. bad. They're, they're <laughs> bad so bad. Movie. They're so bad. <laughs> it sounds like God, it sounds like God's back for vengeance or something. I know, right? God's not dead. Three. You tried to bury me once. It's like all those 80s slasher films. God just keeps getting up. <laughs> That's right. And for our segment this week, we are going to be doing our Halloween favorites. Um, so l- let's start with this conversation on Satan. Um, I don't know about you, Alan. I'm sure that both of us had very different um, frameworks growing up and what Satan was. Um, a Pentecostal circle, it was very much uh, a real thing. Angels, demons, Satan... Uh, Satan was the, I I can't tell you how many times that scripture about Satan being a devouring lion and coming to seek to kill, steal, and destroy was quoted to me over and over again. Uh, And the books that I had, there was this book that I was given in during high school called, what was it called? It it was called, He Came to Set the Captives Free. Hey, you told me about that when I was in college. And so I read it when I was bored in one of my college classes. It was well, wonderful. Yeah. If you don't want to be bored, like if you read this, it reads like a horror <laughs> movie. I mean, the premise of this book is this lady who is a nurse or a doctor or physician. Nurse. Right. A nurse meets up with this other lady who she leads to the Lord, I guess, and uh, finds out her whole story, which included at her birth, her parents sold a vial of her blood which was part of some ritual which promised her to satan and eventually she literally got married to satan and commenced or what's the word uh right uh, they they uh 
they uh, made it official. Yes, they made their. They knew their, each other in the biblical sense. Exactly, and like literally. So you're reading this, and this isn't a story. This isn't a work of fiction. This is according Supposedly, to the author. Yeah, a biography. Really experience. Exactly. You know, um, when I read first started reading that book was at your house. I was laying on the couch, and like the first page, I think says. Now, you're going to feel really tired when you read this book because demons are trying to keep you away from reading it and knowing the truth. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel really tired right now. My eyes are closing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a little freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I you was know, a little freaked out. 19 there were, years old. There yeah. was a time in my Pentecostal upbringing where that stuff was very, uh, very real to me. And um Hey, spoiler alert, it's still pretty real to me, but I definitely am in a different place than when I read that book on your couch when I was 19. So, <laughs> Well, and spoiler alert, I am not convinced that it's a real thing, uh, especially Satan. Um, right. So, so we all have images of Satan from culture, from all kinds of different things. So I thought it would be fun for this episode, since we're so close to Halloween, to talk about Satan. Um, so I th- probably a, fir- a good place to start is... The Bible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our experiences. Obviously, you came from, you said you came from charismatic backgrounds, and I came from a more quote unquote biblically based background. <laughs> our church prided itself not being on a spiritual, spiritually filled or Holy Spirit filled church, but a church that followed the Bible. And um, I think there was a mention in Jude or something like that in the New Testament where someone's talking about angels and another person that is writing this text says like they're making assumptions about stuff that they don't know. And so I was told growing up from my church context, like you don't really talk about angels or demons or Satan necessarily or all that often because like it's sort of inaccessible to us. We recognize as a church that they exist. Like obviously the church I grew up in talked about, Revelation being like Satan's one day Satan's going to like literally roam the earth as the Antichrist and uh, demons were a part of the world. But the context I come from actually made fun of charismatics for thinking there was a demon under the hood of your car or whatever. So it's, it's a little bit different, but I would say absolutely a part of the systematic theology, even for my background, which is dispensational <clears throat> Christian saw Satan as being an essential element that explains like why the way the world is the way that it is. So I think that we both have in common from our upbringing that there would be no way in which you could justify a belief that there was no Satan, that Satan existed, period. The Bible says so. And that is the case. And it would put you firmly out of the camp to believe that, hey, maybe Satan's not a real like ontological metaphysical entity that exists. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, that so many people believe that belief in Satan is important for your belief. in. (laughs) So that's actually going to be my point in this whole episode is I personally have questions about whether Satan and demons exist because of my experiences. But what, and, and so I'm thinking it's possible or even probable that, Satan and demons exist. But what I know for a fact is that belief in Satan itself has been like super destructive for entire societies, entire groups of people within society, for Christians, for so many people. And so I think that for me, like separating the concept of Satan from like the discussion of whether Satan exists or not is an important step. And that may sound super weird, but hopefully it'll make sense at the very end. 
Interesting. And, and, and did you know that, like, uh, I think it was 2007, there was a Baylor religion survey that said 73% of people in the United States believe Satan exists. Like, over 50% are absolutely sure. And then the other portion are somewhat sure that Satan exists. So this conversation is not just for the evangelical background that we come from, but that's almost three-fourths of all people in the United States. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it, it's a reflective of some belief of the supernatural, right? Which seems to be pretty prevalent in our society in general, whether people have um, firm ideas about what that means or just this sense that there's something else out there and right. I have no no words to describe it. But you, you, said, you, you pointed out that constructive for this conversation is actually looking at some of the roots historically of where the concept of Satan comes from, because we didn't just get to the exorcist on accident, right? <laughs> like True. We, we went through a whole thousand years of history to get to the woman, the little girl's head spinning around and throwing. I just watched that movie for the first time. Maybe really? That's why I'm, <laughs> yeah. I went with a friend to uh, the Tower Theater in Sacramento because they had a special and so I went and watched it. I thought it was like made in the 80s or 90s, but apparently it was like made in the 70s. Yeah, 70s. It was very interesting. I like how like the the priest reminded me of Rocky. Maybe that's just racist because he's Italian, but no, you know what? He dressed up in like boxing clothes and stuff. And so you're kind of rooting for this guy to like conquer this demon that's killing this little girl. Interesting. Yeah. They actually just rebooted the movie. They started a TV show. No. Um, based on the exorcist with uh, Gina Davis from A League of Their Own. You know, I don't believe in reboots anymore after Ghostbusters. I was let down. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did we get how did we get from you know 3000 years ago? So I I want to say like 2 to 3000 BC there was Egyptian gods um, that controlled different things uh, that were over certain aspects of nature or of life. Like one was over chaos and disorder, and there were mo- malevolent deities, right? And then uh, a little bit later, you had the Canaanite gods that would control fertility or the dew from the ground or the desert in the wilderness. And then you had, after all of that history, you had the Bible being penned. You had the Hebrew culture arriving on the scene and speaking to all of that history and incorporating a lot of like the, the idea of deities controlling certain elements of nature and bringing that into Hebrew scripture. You know, uh, if you look at it, the concept of Satan is very diverse or non-existent or looked at completely differently by different texts in the Bible. We, we look at the Bible as being so important for our life and our church life as Christians or whatever. And I think we sin against it when we just treat it all as the same. When we try to make it all say the same thing, when we try to make it super level and systematize it in such a way that nothing has any tensions or disagreements, that you lose the voices of of what was actually there. Yeah. And I remember talking to you, Jeff, when I was younger, and you were saying, hey, yeah, guess what, Alan? Satan's actually largely absent from the Hebrew Bible or the Hebrew understanding before the New Testament. And I remember it blowing my mind. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've, I've, cause I, I read Satan at, you know, every instance of something in the text, it had to be Satan. You know, it wasn't Leviathan. It wasn't this, it wasn't that it wasn't the snake in the garden. That was just Satan because I was reading with the lens of the new Testament. But, but really 
Satan's largely absent. Yeah, it is. And and that's because you have, and correct me if I'm wrong on some of the, the details, sure. it's been a while since I've uh, studied this, but you even have a evolving view of God throughout yeah. the entire Hebrew <laughs> yes. scripture, where you really get this sense in the beginnings and the earlier writings of scripture that that Judaism was less monotheistic as much as they mm. were, um, what's the word, um, monolo mon monaltry or something <laughs> something like that where essentially yeah, you know monotheistic mm. they believe that there's only one god whereas the other word which neither of us apparently <laughs> which can you pronounce should right know now if you're going to pretend to be i know i should if i'm going to be pretend to be a podcast theological expert um but the other belief being that the people of israel or the the hebrew people they believed and they knew and believed other gods existed but only worshiped one God. Okay, so I, I was right. It's monotrism. Monotrism. I was saying okay. monotree. It just sounded so, so wrong to me. But that is actually the word. And it's the, the one deity that rules over yeah. all the other deities. And really monotheism, they, they don't really even move from what, I under, from what I remember. They don't even move into monotheism really until the exile. when Yeah, or post-exile. Yeah, when it becomes such a central part of their identity. And I would assume as a culture trying to figure out through decades or even longer of why are we in this place and reflection of, well, maybe there aren't other gods. Maybe we're being punished by our God and we need to restore ourselves right. or whatever. And then as part of their exile under the Persian um, the Persian Empire, then being exposed to um, their beliefs, which is very dualistic during that time. And then right. that is when slowly the idea of a Satan or a, a force opposed to God comes into the picture and really isn't solidified until first century BCE, just before Jesus. So even during Jesus' time, within the context of the Hebrew people, that idea of Satan was a relatively new idea within their culture. Yeah, the, the, that's a pretty good picture of, of the evolution. I mean, that the earliest Hebrew texts before exile talk about like a divine court. Exactly. Where there is multiple entities and any mention of satan i think there's only three places like in chronicles zechariah and then a couple other places maybe oh, job um where satan is mentioned and the word just comes from like opposition you're just opposing someone right the the spirit who opposes or questions and satan largely in those texts serve god that's like the whole point. It's just one of the people in the court and it's a part of the court proceedings. You, you don't get the good versus evil thing, like the op opposing forces of absolute good and absolute evil that are deified and like fighting each other until uh, you mentioned Persian culture. I think the the religion was Zoro Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that that was like what, 7th century BC when the Hebrew people went into exile under – Assyria and then Babylon and under the ba Babylonian exile, the Persians conquered Babylon and Zoroastrianism like really affected Hebrew culture in the exile. So when they came back, they came back to the land with this sense of good versus evil and really interpreted some of their older texts in light of that. And exactly. so you have rereadings of the, of the original texts, which were less about Satan and more about um, this divine courtroom where Satan walks in and speaks with God. Cause it doesn't make sense in Job to have the like uh, absolute opposite of God walking into the courtroom and talking, right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. They should be fighting or something. We call 
Judaism and Christianity monotheism. But if there is this like divine entity that is absolutely evil opposing God, in what sense can you even say that we're still monotheistic? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, that's that I mean, it's already problematic enough with the whole Trinity thing. <laughs> and then you throw in <laughs> Hey, don't knock the Trinity. I'm not knocking it. Uh, <laughs> but with with all that, like you're right. Like even even our common narrative surrounding Satan, the idea that Satan was created by God and Satan was was, was God's number two and got all, you know, prideful and was cast down from heaven. Those are images that are used in I think it's uh Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah and Ezekiel. So we get that those images from that, but those images are borrowed from a Canaanite myth about El and, and Aftar, I think it was, where it's that same narrative, it's that same story of, mm-hmm. you know, Aftar was put in charge, second in command to El and and then eventually was tired of being the number two and wanted to be number one and was cast down. Those exact images are taken from a Canaanite Canaanite myth that were later interpreted like you're talking about once that idea of good versus evil started coming more into the consciousness and theology of the people of Israel, then was later, like you're talking about, interpreted back as this is the story and the origin of Mm -hmm. Satan. Because originally evil was God's fault. If you read the Hebrew scripture, you see God causing evil, saying, I caused evil, sending a messenger to do something that would be evil or testing people or tempting them or doing things. And it's unapologetic. It's like not even bashful about it, right? I think in Genesis, or maybe it's Exodus, uh, Moses, (laughs) like God tries to kill Moses, but uh, there's like this intervention where someone circumcises him where his wife throws the foreskin of moses at the foot of god and says here right i hope you're happy yeah and you have a sense they're not trying to protect god in the earliest texts we have of the hebrew bible they're they're saying like god is the source of all things right god is the Mm -hmm. ultimate king and the evil that happens ultimately is attributable to god you have later judaism after the exile Really focusing on, well, let's take a step back and let's protect some of the more ideas of, of that are monotheistic, as we call them now, and say that, you know, it's it's not actually God who's doing this evil stuff. It's something else. And so I think Satan, uh, for good or bad, has been a way of explaining where the evil comes from in the world, where the like natural evil comes from in the world, uh, instead of laying it at the feet of God. But not all the authors in the Bible felt that way. So I, I think that touches on something that's interesting for me. We have metaphors for God that are helpful, some that are like better than others. I think it's the same thing with with evil and maybe even Satan. Let's just pause it. Maybe Satan exists. I think different metaphors and ideas, whether he's you know a part of the divine council that's actually serving God and testing people and tricking them and trying to put them in positions to where they have to, where they're forced to choose the good is one metaphor. Another is this lion that's prowling around the world, trying to devour and kill. And that's, that's it. Right. Or this God of chaos that is constantly fighting people or this person leading an army of demons. That's um, going to one day fight the army of God. And that'll include human beings. These are all like different understandings of how Satan operates or how evil itself operates And I think recapturing that sense that there is different approaches to this subject is helpful for us, not just because we have to be locked into those metaphors, but because I think we can take a step back and and uh, and and realize like the effects of the symbol of Satan and how that has hurt people over time, because by the New Testament, we have 
we have a different understanding of what Satan looks like. You have like in Acts, people uh, are possessed by demons, which you don't see in the Hebrew Bible. And they'll be sick. And so they'll be, uh, you know, oppressed by a demon and the demons cast out and then they're healed. And then in Revelation, Satan's even more personified. And I think that all of that happens because when the Hebrew people come back from exile, you have this good versus evil narrative becoming a massive part of their identity. If you look at like Qumran and some of the other texts that happened between the quote unquote Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this like pseudepigraphal works and apocryphal works that we don't have anymore, like the book of First Enoch and the book of uh, Jubilee and um, and other ones that the writers of the New Testament actually took as scripture and and they were formative for the way that they looked at the world. And so when they talk about spirits and, and demons and Satan, it's actually based on this other stuff that we don't really have access to or that we don't include in our canon. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole history to the development of the thought that, we, that we're not even looking at when we read these authors who just assume it's true. And I think part of the question is, I mean, for you and for me and for other people who are probably a little more progressive or trying to look and see how that fits into our context is like, is that culturally ingrained to the point where now that science can explain sickness or like epilepsy, right? There's a case in the New Testament where someone obviously has epilepsy, but they call it a demon. Like, has that completely solved the problem of evil and Satan and demons for us? And we no, no longer need those explanations now that we're on this side of the enlightenment and, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, I think that first of all, like not only did the this idea of Satan come into the consciousness of the the people, but it also became so intertwined with the idea of a Messiah and the day of the Lord and then right. even in our not in our theology, but in some people's theology, it's so closely connected to the end and the antichrist and what's going to happen mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff that I think it's just it's just evolving language for things that are hard for us to understand like evil. I mean, it's a little easier maybe for us to hold on to the fact that there is some entity that is evil. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe maybe it's part, it helps us feel as guilty about the horrible things that we do. Or maybe it's just an acknowledgement that the things that we do that may be considered evil or bad or sin or whatever take on this certain energy. And we don't know how to describe what that is. I don't know. I, I think that's a... That's the positive side of the coin for looking at the the metaphor or the personification of evil. I think the negative side of the coin is like it's not just us trying to give voice to understanding evil. On, on like on the negative side of things, it's a way to control people. Developing in the context of a cosmic war between good and evil, it it was used as a way to paint people who disagreed with our group as completely evil. They are literally, Mm, in the text in Qumran, the sons of darkness, and we are the sons of light, right? And we're going to war with each other. So when we fight the Romans, we're literally fighting the spawn of hell, these human beings who have connected themselves to the darkness and Satan, which is opposing God. And so that kind of rhetoric spawned in the context right before Jesus— it was a part of the world Jesus lived in. And you can read some of the gospels as like, 
backing away from some of that. Although some of the texts in the New Testament, like Revelation, really talk about these things, um, this fight between good and evil. But if you protract it through the early church, through medieval history until now, you will have to move through so much evil that was done in the name of fighting evil. Miguel de la Torre, who wrote um, with a co-author the book Quest for the Historical Satan, like makes the point that uh, some of the worst evils that have been done in history were done in the name of purging the world of evil. <laughs> and so like defining yourself against these people you can demonize and not have to nuance your relationship with them whatsoever is a part of this topic that can't you can't just throw away. You can't just say, well, oh, okay, we're we're good. We're not like them because in our world, like in our country, in the last 15 years, we've seen presidents use the language of axis of evil versus like the people who are good quoting scripture as they get off onto a, um, an aircraft carrier. And this, this, uh, this topic has actually affected a lot of uh, history and international relations. People flew into the trade center towers because they believed that they were literally fighting Satan. The the terrorists uh, who hijacked the planes believed that they were fighting the great Satan, which um, the United States is serving. And there are people who joined the American military because they thought they were fighting the forces of Satan, which are serving Islam in a different country. And so like this, this narrative has caused witch hunts and genocide <laughs> and like, just incredible amounts of pain and oppression, especially for women in the the middle, in the medieval times, that I think for any person to stand on top of all of that history and talk about this subject has to recognize that you have to deal with the symbol of Satan if you're just going to use that word or that concept lightly, right? If you're going to stand up and be like, the the enemy or Satan or this or that, you're calling to mind all these things. And if you're not going to do it in a nuanced way, you're just a part of that history. I know that sounds like super harsh, but I really do feel that way. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. Like the more, uh, the, the more we talk about this, the more I've thought about this over the years, the more I don't see, and we kind of alluded to it towards the beginning of this conversation, but I don't see any positive benefit of a belief in some kind of personified evil. Because it can be so easily associated with a person or a regimen or whatever. I mean, look at look at the Revelation when it's talking about Satan. There's good evidence that it's 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 using that language to represent parts of the Roman Empire, not talking about Satan, but talking about things that are in front of them. I, yeah, I I I think I agree with you. Is that there there may be no like positive. At the very least, I think it's done some more damage than good <laughs> in the history yeah. of of theology. But I do have to say, being on this side of the Enlightenment, um, and again, I'm following like Miguel Torre in this in this direction, is that like there's there's still the ability to name evil and to recognize how evil emerges or is associated with systems. Um, I think is very helpful. And I, and I at least think that enlightenment thinking hasn't like solved that for us. And I think the concept of Satan is useful if it is completely redone. And I think that that would take quite a bit of work. Um, well, I think, I like, well, I think you said it right Walter, earlier is yeah. the idea of a belief 
some people would say that a belief or a non-belief in Satan is a denial of evil. But I would say that mm-hmm. a belief in the idea of Satan is a perpetuating of evil. <laughs> I, and I would, yeah, many times, much of the time that is true. I think it's sometimes even safer to deny Satan exists than to say Satan does exist. I think that's another way to say it, right? It, yeah. it hurts less people. But um, but that doesn't – I'm talking about what we think about Satan and the metaphors we use for Satan and the symbology of Satan. I'm not really dealing with the question of whether Satan actually exists or not. You know what I mean? Because whether Satan exists or not, the way we think about Satan has hurt people. <laughs> you know, do you know where I'm trying to yeah, go there? absolutely. It's uh-huh. like <laughs> those are two different questions for me, and I'm not as interested in the other question. I've had personal experiences where – in my mind, it is entirely possible, right? But I don't think that it's like, for me, an actionable thing. It doesn't change. I, I think to say that there's an absolute evil in the world that is 100% evil, there's nothing that, you know, no other way to think about it whatsoever is corrosive because demonization of other groups is like from the pit of hell. And if there's anything that's they satanic, that is what is satanic. Did you ever uh, read any of Frank Peretti's books? Yeah, I did. When I read uh, Quest for the Historical Satan and they started talking about it, I was a little bit triggered because I read all of the books by Frank Peretti, like back in the day, uh, This Present Darkness, Heart of Darkness or whatever. Not Heart of Darkness. <laughs> that's a totally different book. It's that's This a good, Present That's darkness, a good book. Yeah. This Present Darkness. Um they basically, he says, there's all these demons, and this goes back to like medieval thinking. There were people in medieval times that put the number of demons in the world at like millions upon millions or even billions, and like they're literally everywhere, uh, these fallen angels. And for Peretti, he's like, there's all these demons associated with locations and certain people. And so like there's demons associated with college campuses, hence the whole God is not dead one and two, right? And like demons yes. associated, <laughs> demons associated with uh like um multiculturalism, demons associated with things like Native American spirituality and um it's just horrible. Oh, and uh liberal ministers like me, right? There's all these demons inside of my church because I'm preaching this false gospel where Satan doesn't exist or something. (laughs) Well, I was told when I went on missions trip in youth group, be careful of the things you buy and bring back because Mm. demons can attach themselves to objects. And uh, that freaked me out. Like I I can't think of one positive thing that came out of my belief that there was demons and or that there were demons and Satan and they existed. It only created fear in me and confusion and nothing nothing positive set aside the question of whether demons exist or they could be attached to those objects like setting aside that actual question um telling a kid that demons could be attached to that multicultural committee at your city (laughs) your city council or uh attached to those like cultural items you're going to bring back from that different country or that different religion you are literally destroying curiosity, right? You are killing it. You are destroying the ability to listen to other people in other cultures. And like, I believe you are sinning against our basic humanity and what we're called to do, which is sit down at table with people who are different than us and like learn and talk and speak and share. And all of that is completely destroyed by 
the youth minister, which you maybe have done it before. I know I have when I was younger that told people that kind of stuff, you know, like that's by the time I was a youth pastor, fortunately I did not <laughs> believe that part of the, <laughs> the whole thing. And that was not perpetuated. Really? Many other things I perpetuated, but not, not that one. Thankfully. I want to say I prayed, I shouldn't even say this on air. Cause someone's going to like Donald Trump. Someone's going to use this against me when I'm older, but I'll say it anyway. And I'll confess and apologize Maybe I need to do this for me. Maybe this is cathartic. I once prayed in a small group about Hinduism being like the religion of demons. And so these demons are present in these Hindu temples and they're controlling people and they have to give. And I prayed for those people legitimately believing that demons were like leading them. And, And again, whether or not demons and Satan exist, what that does is it teaches me and the students that I was sitting with that like, these people are to be demonized. This religion, this culture is to be demonized and not encountered in any meaningful way other than war, <laughs> which is not a place of understanding. You don't go to battle to sit down and listen with someone. You are the son of light and you're fighting the sons of darkness and you got to go conquer and vanquish, right? And so that's the, the outcome of uh, theologies of Satan or demonism is just satanic <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, I would say as a youth pastor, I I uh, never had any real firsthand experience, but, you know, I had stories that were told to me that I passed on mostly just for, you know, campfire type scary stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I never, I never prayed against the Hindu people though. You got me on right. that one. <laughs> Not, so that's the different, that's the different like contexts we come from. If I would have sat down and told all my demon stories, which I do have things in my life that I've experienced again, and that's why this is a difficult topic for me to talk about. Like, my church never did that kind of stuff. They would have mm-hmm. looked down on that because it's too charismatic. But yeah, talk about the Pope being the Antichrist <laughs> working for Satan or yeah. like, well, you know, speaking talk- of that book we talked about earlier, like the, the, the lady who got married to Satan would talk about how she had regular meetings with the Pope. Like, it was. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's side, but yeah, that that's a that's a very much big part of a lot of um, extreme charismatic beliefs is that the the Catholic Church is going to be the well, it was the central focus of Left Behind, right? Wasn't it from the Catholic Church that the yes. Antichrist rose up and became? I think that was the actual. I, I can't remember very clearly, but I read all the books multiple times, and I think it was like the um, United Nations or something. Something like that. They got <laughs> and the Catholic Church was a part of it. They blessed it, of course. Yes. Right. Yes. But uh the Catholic Church believes in Satan too. Like this Pope believes in Satan. I can't remember where I read that, but this Pope speaks about Satan quite often. And um I, I just don't I don't find it as helpful. Although I will say uh, a great resource and a good way to start thinking about this differently, kind of where I began, was Walter Wink, who I started reading because he's a he was a pacifist. Walter Wink's a theologian that wrote, um, I can't remember the, the book's names, but uh, it's like Naming the Powers or something Yeah, Powers like that. and – oh, my gosh. I just saw the book today. <laughs> I literally just saw the book today. Uh, so that book is so good. There's two of them. And um, it talks about like demons and like evil spirits from like an emerging – emergence theory perspective that – the powers themselves are actually the human institutions that kind of control our lives. And in Jesus's time, that would be things like the Roman uh, imperial cult or 
the Jewish temple with the Sadducees and Pharisees or all these different things like these nations or these entities that kind of churned people up and spit them out and dehumanized them and did all these evil things. It was the system itself. And so Jesus calling the, the powers back to what they originally were intended to do, like the, like the Roman government was supposed to bring peace to people, but really what they were doing was destroying and killing and oppressing. So calling the powers back uh, fighting them or like calling them back to what they should be is the, in Walter Wink's mind, the idea of what Jesus's ministry was all about. And so when I think about evil now, it, it's hard not to think about systemic evil in almost demonic or like satanic ways. And that includes like uh, capitalism around global capitalism around the world, crony capitalism. Uh, the United States presence, like the war machine around the world and the oppression that it that it causes. And in other places, too, like the, the systems that hurt people, I think, have a greater evil than the individual. If you look at all of the studies of the Holocaust, largely the people who pulled the switches or drove or did whatever, like those people were, quote unquote, normal people. And they were a part of a system that was like incredibly evil bonded beyond anything we can ever imagine. And then, so when you look at um, terrible tragedies, I think human beings get caught up in evil that actually has is very real and it's uh, very spiritual. Cause again, I believe there's not like this dualism between physical and spiritual. And it's something that we're called to engage by in the new Testament. So when Paul talks about fighting the powers, that's what he's talking about. And so I don't think of the demons that are flying around in, in the different areas or in like board meeting rooms and stuff like that. But who knows? There could be, I think it's beside the point in my opinion. And um, that's because we, there's a different idea outlook on the world between the setting of the new Testament and post enlightenment where we're at now, how we know about physics and the scientific view of the world. There is such a difference between those two things we're in this new context, but I don't think you have to throw away the concept of the existence of evil or personification of evil in these different systems. And I don't know what to do with all of that. That's just kind of where I'm at and how I operate right now. Maybe I'm crazy. I do not know. No, I, th- I think all that is good language. I think it's, I mean, really think about it. The, the evolution of the idea of Satan in general was connected to a system of belief or a system of whatever, like... Mm-hmm. The idea of uh, people in the ancient Near East across the board believing that they're um, that gods acted as though or acted in the same manner in which their kings and their system acted, like they applied their system language to their deities. And of mm-hmm. course, if there's evil or if there's something separate from something that was good, they're going to apply it to that. And I think it's fine for us to use language like that when we're talking about systems. But like you've said before, I think it's it's problem when we when we apply it to people groups. And I think that that's a hard distinction for us to make a lot of times is to separate those people from the systems that they're a part of. But yeah. I think your wording was great that that people get caught up into these systems because they're so powerful and so overwhelming, you know, like a, like a tide or a wave, you know, when you get pulled under, it's not that you necessarily want to or you think about it. It's just something that is so powerful that's going to pull you under. And I think using lofty language about evil is a good thing to describe those systems because it gives us a sense of how powerful they can be in a negative way. Mm, but it has to be a critical perspective on talking about evil. 
not just assuming it's a one for one correlation between what we were given by the medieval culture of Christianity <laughs> till now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that, uh, you, you can point to the, um, like the negative outcomes of not approaching it critically and thinking about it in that way. Wasn't it Pat Robertson who said Haiti had signed a deal with the devil back in the day. Oh, and that's during that the, earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so you're literally like telling people all of you died because, you had signed a contract with the devil or something. I think it's too easily easy of an explanation for natural evil for events that hurt people. Yeah. I think it's a cop out personally to say the devil made me do it or a demon made me do it is a way of not taking responsibility for, but at the same time, yeah, there are, we do get assumed into things and talking about those powers is a good way to, to approach it. L- let me ask something real, real quick. This may be weird. Because I don't come from a charismatic background. But did you have like rituals for binding the devil? Did you ever hear that language? Like oh, I'm a, all, I, I all bind the time. the devil. All the time. Nobody we, ever said that in my, my church, bind oh, to the devil. No. We would we would cast things out. We would say we cast out the spirit of this, the spirit of lying, the spirit of lust. We would talk about pleading the blood of the lamb over Oh, that's a, place. that's a really interesting development, by the way, that borrows a lot from medieval theology and maybe even some some older ones about demons being specifically the demon of this sin oh, or yeah. the demon no, that of that sin. Very like, common language in my upbringing. You don't see that. Like, in if you just, quote unquote, use the Bible, like some of these churches say you're supposed to, you don't find that the demon of lust, right? Or <laughs> the demon of... No. That's something totally different. And people don't, like... Well, it's, it's an adaption from. of the language of like, you know, the spirit language. Uh, we would say the, the spirit of this or the spirit of that. Where um, does that come from? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's really interesting. Where that comes from is like all these other cultures that have uh, affected the development of this theology over time. And people oh, don't yeah. realize that. Um, or like Dante's Inferno, the seven oh, different Dante's levels Inferno of hell. Dante's Inferno is a big, <laughs> yeah. In the 1200s. And that's a part of people in 2016 and and we don't realize where the roots of these things come from. Um, One thing I find super interesting uh, before we get off the binding of the devil topic, I just wanted to say being able to name evil and say it corporately, I think is a super helpful thing. So whether you're going to say bind the devil or (laughs) like the spirit of this or whatever, maybe there's a place for that. But I think saying we're going to bind the devil just creeps me out and I don't know. I, I don't quite understand it. Well, I think that um, there's, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think that there's, a, there has to be a naming, like there has to be a naming. Like we have to name things for what they are and call them out for what they are. Um, yeah. Racism, in, hate in a way that's violence, true, free, right? Mm-hmm. Not in a, in a way that is, um, stepping the issue. <laughs> exactly. Not in a way that appeals to the very thing that we are, saying that we are against but something that counteracts it in a real way right um but yeah i think that that's important but yeah i agree the language of all that is very um because the the language that i grew up with assumed and outright believed literally that they weren't speaking about an issue or speaking to a topic that they were speaking to a literal entity that was occupying a space and i think that that is uh I think that's fine. Like, freak me out quite frankly. No, honestly, I I think that's fine. Because of my experiences, I think that's fine. 
if you have a robust understanding of how differently the people who wrote scripture or how it developed over time, how differently they approached that subject. There is no one view of how this works or how evil works or all that kind of stuff. So if you're going to, if that's going to be your religion and you believe there's like little evil entities moving around in the spirit world and you can't see it, like you have to recognize how that has developed over time, how differently it's treated even within the pages of scripture and how like making these huge claims and saying this is exactly like that moves into a realm that oppresses people and hurts people. Um, I don't think that language exists with a robust understanding though. Like, I think, I <laughs> right. think one will automatically encounter like counter the other. And so to, to make this real. So for some people, this is all like theoretical. Maybe they're listening and they don't quite buy in to um, kind of a more critical understanding of the subject. One story in particular, and now it's escaping me. It must be in like Leviticus or something because I can't, I can't remember. It must be in Leviticus because it has to do with a law about sacrifice. But I, rem- I remember studying um, in Pentateuch class, there's a text that talks about the scapegoat. Like there's a ritual where you send the goat out into the desert with like the sins of the people and you literally send it to like a Zazel, this deity in the desert, this deity of chaos who like dwells in the desert and you're making a sacrifice to this other deity after making a sacrifice to God. And if that doesn't upset your dualistic Christian uh, medieval understanding of how good and evil Satan and God work. I don't know what would like that's, yeah. that's problematic. And, and that so, goes back to what we were talking about in, I mean, in the, the Pentateuch, especially the, the language is not monotheistic. The language acknowledges right. that there are other gods all around, you know, even Abraham and Melchizedek, like acknowledging another God. Um, you have even in Deuteronomy, like there's some wording, I think it's like towards the end and like chapter 32 or something. And again, we'll put all these references in the show notes in case you're curious, but like in 32, it talks about how like God divided the people into nations that the division was based on which gods were in those areas. Yeah. There's definitely different ways to think about it. You can look at it as an evolution for sure. Um, an evolution of understanding. And some people uh, may play, may understand it this way that, well, the revelation in scripture is a progressive revelation. And in the new Testament, we get the best explanation. So we don't, we don't understand what's happening in the Hebrew Bible until we have understanding of Satan in the new Testament. Then we read it all back into there. And what I think that does, I, I think that, I think that hurts like just, just on a very basic level. You don't, read back all the stuff in the new Testament into the old Testament and just expect it to all fit. I think that that dismisses what's actually happening and you're doing violence against what we do have in the Bible. I believe God operates within the pages of scripture personally, but it has to be in what we actually have, not what we want it to be. And it's much more diverse than, than we thought it would. And so I, I think that there's a, um, there's a creative element to some of this that's like, how are you going to deal with human sin? Name it, ritualize ways of getting rid of it. Like, I think some of that stuff is actually very helpful for the human psyche. And I think that a massive portion of it has been harmful and hurtful and should just go away. So it's hard for me to talk about this subject. Hopefully that makes sense, separating the symbol and the existence of Satan and that I'm not really dealing with the existence of Satan because I 
do not know. I'm one of those like what 20% that's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> maybe I watched too many horror movies and had too many experiences when I was a kid, but I can't just say flat out, like, no, you know, there's no spiritual ontological existence of this evil out there somewhere. Because yeah. it's possible. I, I agree with you there. I don't I don't think at this point I can't ever confidently say anything hundred percent that I'm always gonna leave room for that sliver of possibility. Um, but then your action's going to line up and you're not going to build an entire system of including and excluding people of, uh, treating people a certain way and doing certain things based on such like a, I don't know attitude. You know, you know what I mean? That doesn't, that doesn't provide basis now for interacting with evil the way we used to, or you used to, right? You're in a new place where you're not going to bind the devil <laughs> i don't no. know well even then i was very uncomfortable with that uh i still don't know what to think about it but, i believe but, but that's okay i mean is it it's okay that some people do that right like we don't want to come out and say that everybody has to be exactly the way we are or um, i don't know Th- that is a good question and i don't think i have an honest answer for that like really? I, I probably would agree with that if i didn't have direct experience but remembering right. how that language affected huh. me and that the way that i uh viewed the world around me i i have i have a hard time saying that that's okay this is so weird sorry i i something's very clear for me so y- you personally like didn't it didn't quite fit for you you were uncomfortable even hearing that kind of stuff in your background but your background like had all the language and everybody talked about it and it was a big part of your corporate faith like i'm the opposite i personally had all these experiences with no language and no way to deal with any of it and my background never talked about it whatsoever so i actually found it super helpful to to have some of that language like solve problems for me in my own personal life <laughs> interesting that's weird yeah that's well totally then hearing that gives me i guess the space to where i think that that might be uh, <laughs> valuable in some way, shape, or form. But then all none of it would be necessary if uh, <laughs> it was all done right in the first place. Anyway, well, I think that that probably uh, that starts without, the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so let us know what you think. Uh, you can add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting at the show notes at arenacast.com slash 86. And also in the show notes, you'll find all the relevant links that we talked about and a list of ways to get a hold of us, to follow us, to contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 86. On the other side of the music, we are going to be sharing our favorite things about Halloween. So I think for this segment, we are just going to have a good conversation about the fun goodness of Halloween. So what? what's your favorite um, Halloween costumes growing up? Did you have any like just really kick butt costume that you were like, I feel good about myself I and did. I want to do this? I did. You did? Yeah. In fact, it was so one? good I did it two years in a row. <laughs> you did? To hear that you recycled something means it must have been like really near and dear to your heart. Yeah. No, it was, it was pretty... It was pretty amazing. I had, I was Freddy Krueger. Nightmare on Elm Street was like my favorite really? movie when I was a kid. So like I had. I've known you for a long time and I had no idea you dressed up as Freddy Krueger. I haven't seen pictures, Jeff. Two years in a row. I don't have any pictures of anything. My mom was not a picture taker. Um, we sorry. didn't have cameras around the house. and We didn't have camera. Actually, honestly, in my immediate family, just when it was just me and my mom, 
Like there was, I've never seen her hold a camera. Interesting. All pictures that we have were either taken by my uncle or my grandmother or someone else. And then later when my stepdad came in the picture, we had the video camera. But by then I'd kind of outgrown Halloween. I was a little too cool yeah. for that. And so we, we have like a camera at that point. Yeah. We have a video <laughs> archive, but we don't even really have pictures from that time. It's interesting. interesting. Anyway. So, so you're, are you doing the normal dad thing where you're doing something completely different and you're making a small library for each of your children of pictures? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the pictures that I have, I mean, it makes All it easier said, with the yeah. technology we have, but, it does. Uh, um, so when I was, so I did Freddy Krueger two years in a row, but I had everything. Like I had the mask. I didn't do the makeup cause I didn't know how to do it and it would always look bad, but I had the sweater, but the best part about it was I had the claws, the metal ones. So I could make that like clinging metal sound with the claws I think nice. I may, might have worn that glove <laughs> like almost <laughs> every day between Halloween <laughs> because like, it was just like so Michael like Jackson, just one glove, but it was the one with the, it was the one, it was like scary full fingers. on. It wasn't sharp, <laughs> which I probably a good idea, but it was metal. So I could so like, it wasn't like a rub. It wasn't like a rubber knife that looked metal. Yeah. It was just, no, it was real. It real was metal. legit. When I was kid, Halloween was my favorite <laughs> holiday, even Me more too. than Christmas. Yes. Because I lived in an apartment complex, so everything was like condensed in this one area. And there were like three or four hundred apartments in this little comp- complex. So you just go and you'd make the rounds and you get to go out with your friends. You didn't need a lot of supervision because your whole world was kind of enclosed. So I didn't need yeah. to, you know, worry about crossing the street or anything like that. Like Halloween was the best. The best. Or the devil, goat, demon, Azazel across the street in the field. You well, could just chill inside. That's true too. <laughs> a lot of fun stories that way. Um, so, uh, so what about you? What was your favorite? We talked. We talked about this last year, episode number. Jeff, help me out. Thirty-four. The omniscient Jeff. Yes, uh, episode thirty-four. We talked about the history of Halloween because I got. I get so freaking excited. I love the history of Halloween. I love where it came came from. If you don't know what soul cakes are, look them up. Uh, the reason I love Halloween is everybody's so relaxed. I feel like at Thanksgiving and Christmas, everyone's always freaking out, waking up early and like putting on special sweaters and having to comb their hair and stuff the turkey and stuff like that. But at Halloween, it's like you just put out candy and you dress up however you want to. It's awesome. I love it. And as a kid, my mom, my mom was so into just creating Halloween costumes that we had like six different buckets of Halloween outfits, pieces and wigs and all kinds of stuff that we stored year round in our house. And we'd pull all the buckets out and put stuff together. And she'd end up making something entirely new every time anyway. So I don't know why we kept it maybe for like neighborhood kids and stuff. But uh, I have all these awesome Halloween costumes in my brain and I can't pick one that I thought was really cool. I mean, probably my favorite that I ever was. If I go really far back in elementary school, I dressed up as my grandma and I thought it was so convincing that I really thought my teacher thought my grandma came to school and not me. And I was like third third grade. <laughs> I was <laughs> I thought it was that good. And everybody in the class loved it. And then uh, the pastor actually talked to my, my parents about cross-dressing after that. Oh, really no. Sad. Are you serious? <laughs> See? Yeah. And, and, you know, and my parents, my, my mom was just like, okay, whatever. She just laughed. That's the but, like, they dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Her. Right. I didn't hear about that until I was older. I was like, are you kidding me? That was my favorite costume of all time. Oh, my. Okay, wait. So 
<laughs> can you list off? I like, don't know the full story. So list I'm not off a handful it. of your costumes. So you, you, your grandma. Okay, grandma. I was um, a scarecrow one year, which again I thought I was so awesome because I could just sit still and people thought I was a decoration and I would scare them as they were coming up to our driveway. It was really fun. Uh, I was like a spider one time with extra arms that were just like stitched onto my (laughs) shirt. So it was like I had a bunch of arms. Um, I was the Hulk one time, uh, pumpkin, trying to remember everything. There was a Frankenstein was my favorite when I was a little kid. That was another one. I keep seeing my favorite because they're all my favorite. But the best one of all would be Buzz Lightyear. Oh, my gosh. You were young enough to dress up as Buzz Lightyear? No, I was a junior and a senior in high school. Both my junior year and my senior year. (laughs) I'm not that young, dude. I'm turning 30, all right? I'm turning 30 years old in like five months. Me too. It's going to be amazing. You too. (laughs) Uh, So this was before all like the Halloween, the uh, Toy Story outfits came out. Or maybe they had, but we were older, right? And um, my older brother went as Woody. And I went as a pumpkin my junior year. Then my senior year, my best friend in high school uh, used the Woody outfit that my older brother had used the year before. And I dressed up as Buzz Lightyear. And so we like cut out all the cardboard and painted all of it. And it looked bomb. It was awesome oh and super cheesy at the same time. I was even wearing green sweats under it. It was it's pretty awesome. I'll have to put a picture up of it. But I felt like I was fully came alive. At that point, that's funny. So you had the Hulk, you had all like the, your grandma, Scarecrow, and you dressed <laughs> up all the way until. Do you still dress up on Halloween? Oh, last year, last year we did Rick and Morty, where I was. Uh, if you haven't seen Rick and Morty, it's one of my favorite TV shows. It's like full of nihilism, so be very careful. <laughs> you might lose the meaning of life if you watch it too much. You know, be careful. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your mind if you watch this. But it's so good that I decided to dress up as uh, Rick. And so I took my hair, which was long at that point. Now it's shorter. And I just like spiked it. I'll put up a picture of that too. Oh, it was pretty awesome. See, I haven't dressed up. I, I haven't dressed up since I was 10. I remember my last costume on Halloween. It was the one costume I actually have a picture of. You may have seen the picture, but it's, I have this, I'm just wearing like a suit and one of those, um, like an old fedora and i have this like uh that sounds familiar gangster gun you know from like the 40s or whatever that's right yeah that was the last (laughs) one but so yours are all like yours are all scarecrow and spider and i was like freddy krueger and a gangster and i'm pretty sure i was the werewolf one year (laughs) there's a reason for that we we had the reason i was a scarecrow and a spider especially the spider one one time like my older brother was a pig my mom cut a bunch of baby bottles up so that she could create nipples on a pig costume from like peak pjs like a oh, one <laughs> it was really freaking great anyway kind of salacious the reason we did that though is there was a rule at our church where you could not come to church dressed up as freddy krueger or anything like that you had to come up as to the uh the festival at the church because we didn't live in apartment complexes we lived really far away from our neighbors so we'd all come to this big trunk or treat and you had to dress up as like a bible character or an animal and so everybody dressed up as animals because you know noah's noah's ark and the flood there were a bunch of animals there so technically you could go dress as whatever you want whether it was a spider or something else or the wall of jericho my mom was uh the fruits of the spirit one time like pinned to her 
her shirt and and it's always sad when that like neighborhood kid comes with like the scream mask or the scary outfit they weren't turned away like, were they no but oh. worse everybody would like look at him weird and like oh, <laughs> treat <gosh. him> like- <laughs> uh i think my my outfit so i've dressed up every year to answer your question obviously i'm really excited right now three years ago i dressed up as a pun um or like a paradox or something i dressed up as a rolling stone but with moss on me like oh. the Wow, and you. people didn't get it if they. And I tried I had to explain it to everybody. So basically, I dressed up as like a pompous a hole for for Halloween. It was oh pretty goodness. bad. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I, Halloween has 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 new vigor now. Now that the girls are old enough to <laughs> yeah. do. Last year was their first like they had enough vocabulary to say trick or treat. And one was a superhero, and one was like another superhero, Doc McStuffins, right? Well, they that were Doc pretty... McStuffins and Dora the Explorer were their costumes oh, last year. And uh, one of my daughters is has to wants to be Doc again. So really? <laughs> she's going Yay. for two years in a row. And then yes. uh, my other daughter is going to be Joy from Inside Out. Check out our episode Ooh. on Inside Out. Um, Dude. Yeah, check out the Inside Out episode. We just did a kids thing at our church where we talked about emotional intelligence. And oh, my goodness, you got to work on that with your children. That's so cool. Yeah. So it was... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to Halloween. Halloween is I, I've always liked Halloween, but I, I I like it even more that I don't have to do anything for church. <laughs> and I get to take my girls get out to dress up and trick be a or treat. Dad. Yeah, exactly. You should buy a really like weird dad sweater and tell dad jokes the whole time. No, no. I don't think you could do dad sweaters <laughs> anymore because of the whole Bill Cosby thing, right? Ooh, too far. <laughs> Uncomfortable. Yeah. It is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Well, any other lasting memories? <laughs> yes. One you? last thing. I really get pissed off when I see people post on Facebook that candy corn should just go straight into the trash. It makes me angry because candy corn is the best Halloween candy that's out there by far. Candy corn is my favorite Halloween. Really? Candy. Look at this. And where one or two are in agreement in my name, I am there among them. Yeah, it's this is blessed. quite the contrast from our last Halloween episode where we were kind of all in disagreement. It, I think it might have been, I can't remember 100%, but I think it might have been one of our most disagreeable episodes up until that point. And now, look, we're on the same page. Candy Corn page. and Satan are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the concept of Satan's not helpful. I'm not saying whether Satan exists or not. Just that. Well, I guarantee that Satan isn't nearly as delicious <laughs> as Candy Corn. <laughs> Can you guarantee that, Jeff? I can guarantee that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for all the ways to do so. And uh, don't forget on Friday that we are going to be doing our bonus episode. We're going to be reviewing God's Not Dead 2. So if you want to watch, you may. But uh, we're <laughs> I don't know if we want to encourage you to watch or do not, it. but it'll be fun. It's going to be a fun conversation. I have a good time doing that with Dylan and Adam. Just guard your heart while you do. <laughs> Just guard your heart and your, your, your wallet. <laughs> uh, so for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation and have a happy Halloween. Ooh.